Blog Talk Radio. Dirty Waterer Zone. 
But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky... You'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. It's uh, it's Monday, it's Thanksgiving week, so uh, this will be the only show uh, that we do this week. Normally we take the whole week off, but um, this was a very timely topic. Uh, over the weekend I saw several posts about my chickens have this, this, and this going on, and... <clears throat> You get 273 responses and about 273 different responses of what to do. Uh, you need this. You need that. Give them this. Give them that. My chickens had this, and I gave them this, and now they're fine. Um, all, all the all this stuff. So so I really wanted to, uh, during this episode, since we are uh, lucky enough to have Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor here with us today, um, to, to kind of cover this. I've got uh, one uh, real-life, uh, actually maybe two real-life scenarios we want to talk about. But my, my main goal for the show today is to, to talk about respiratory illness for the backyard chicken keeper. You go outside, maybe you're sitting on that five-gallon bucket and, and looking at your birds, and you see one that has the swollen eye. You see one that's sneezing and coughing. You may have some nasal discharge. Um, you know, okay, I've got to sit. None of, the, none of the others look sick. 
what do I need to do? What are my first steps as I isolate that bird? Um, and then is it to run run over to Tractor Supply and, and get something? Is it to, uh, you know, get online and, and call the chicken doctor and go through a diagnosis? Is it, you know, and, and then have them re- recommend something from First State Vet Supply? Is it uh, take them to the vet and, and get an official diagnosis with lab work? You know, what, what, and then and if we do, uh, oh, well, so you need to give them some antibiotic. Well, you know, Thailand 50, Thailand 200, duramycin, um, Batril. I mean, all this stuff, is it available? Is it not available? Is it by prescription only? What's going to work? What's the dose? Do I put it injectable? Do I put it in the water? all these things everybody has a different answer when you go on these blogs and forums and then oh well what if it's uh Carizo? what if it's uh um the uh um infectious uh um uh, well, i can't remember the name it's on the tip of my tongue and it, what, what if it's a uh, newcastle what if it's avian uh influenza what if it's uh um mycoplasma you know uh, antibiotics it doesn't they don't my, mycoplasma doesn't have a cell wall antibiotics uh probably aren't going to do squat for you there so so well, what if it is that but a lot of them present with the exact same symptoms or maybe there's a little tweak that we need to specify it oh well if you have this and not this you may can rule out that or this so so it's just and there's a lot of in, uh, bad information out there on the blogs and forums uh seen it firsthand just over this weekend so i thought you know what it's a great opportunity <laughs> to the season um we got Peter on. Uh, it's the last show uh, uh, and only show this week because we want people to spend time with their friends, with their family for Thanksgiving uh, to, to identify what you're thankful for in life and, and the whole nine yards and enjoy your week. We will return next Monday uh, with Peter Brown uh, again, <clears throat> but I thought we would take the opportunity uh, to do this today. So let's go ahead and give Peter a big chicken whisperer round of applause. <laughs> I'll go ahead and uh, and bring Peter on, and while I'm doing that, I'm going to get over to my uh, uh, messages here because I do have a. Uh, we'll start off with one, a real uh, live, if you will. Uh, in fact, I was contacted this morning by a gentleman who had an issue, and I thought, you know what? Listen to the show today. This is going to be perfect because this is what the show is all about. So I'm going to open up uh, all these questions uh, that he's got, and we'll go through the. Uh, and I even uh, went back and got even more information that Peter may need to know um and things you know because a lot of times when we take callers and things it's just oh or, or you know i've got this limited information so i try to get more information from david to, so we can uh, help him out and, and other folks so peter welcome to the show today thank you very much for joining us hey andy how are you doing I'm doing pretty good. Um, we've started kind of our Thanksgiving travels. We left the homestead, went up to uh, the northeast Georgia mountains, visited with my dad for three days, had a, a little mini Thanksgiving uh, feast there with him, just with the, uh, me, Jen, Caleb, Lily, and, and, and my dad. And then now we're back in the Atlanta area. We'll be here through Thanksgiving to uh, celebrate with her family. And, uh, you know, her mom is, is just really in, in starting to – get in the depths of Alzheimer's. So it's, it's really mm-hmm. sad and, and you try not to be frustrated because you know, it's not her fault. And it's just, uh, so, so it's sad to see that every time we come up, it's progressed more. And even with, with her dad as well, he's had a few strokes. He can he's still functional, but he's still driving during the day. Can't drive at night. Um, but still, you know, thinking, uh, for, for many, many, many seconds, um, long periods of time to get just the right word out. And, um, and that sometimes his, his logical thought process is missing. So, well, of course, mine is too a lot of times. But, <laughs> but, but so it's, it's it's sad to see that. So we're going to spend some extra time here with them. Um, and yeah. depending on a little medical issue I've got, um, uh, we may end up going to try to get down to Florida. We may uh, limit that trip and come back. We may just eliminate it and go back to the homestead and do some doctor searches. And I may have to end up having some hernia surgery. It's got a... a 
just, I don't know, I, I pulled it and it's gotten worse. I'm just, I got a couple of things in the mail today, some new uh, uh, um, hernia belt, things like that. And I know nothing's going to cure it except surgery, but I'm a right. chicken. And uh, But I have a right to be chicken. I worked in the operating room for a year. I saw human mistakes that cost <laughs> lives. Um, I worked as a paramedic for eight years. I saw mistakes that cost lives. And then uh, I saw my mom almost lose her life to one knee replacement. And then four years later, had another knee replacement and died in the hospital from throwing a clot after that. So so I just I have a right to be a, a scaredy cat, even though I've got that medical, a little bit of medical background, you know, and that's probably why I'm a scaredy cat, because I have that medical background. Maybe going into it, not knowing squat would be better. Um, but, uh, you know, ha- having, you know, having them see them miss a rib in the x-ray in the emergency room, uh, before the lady comes up to surgery and then they fix the problem that they saw and then she dies on the table because, oh, we missed a rib through her heart. So, you know, just things like that, you know, that just pop back into my mind, uh, yep. you know, when, you know, and all these things that I've seen before, just, uh, oh, that she threw, a- surgery is fine, minute through surgery, no one ever dies on the table, but, uh, oh, she threw a clot a day later. And so that, that just, uh, and, um, so anyway, having all that information, experience it firsthand, working in the OR, working in uh, the ER, working in, uh, in, the, in as a paramedic for years, all that stuff just really seems to come back and attack you. But um, especially when it's something that may or, you know, really needs to be done, but still kind of a elective thing. So I'm dealing with that in my personal life, so we'll see what happens in the next 10 days. Um, but we're here to talk chickens. We're here to talk about an important topic that's going, you know, crazy. Always is, but I've seen so much lately. And, and it always kind of starts like this. And we'll start it off. With, a, with an email I got today from David, and uh, and you'll see this on forums. This is the way exactly where it. But here, here's what I got this morning. We'll start with this one because um, I did reach out and get more information. But but but, but Peter, what, what I'm looking for today is to say, okay, here's David that walked out to his um, his backyard flock. He saw this, and, and then you know what do I do? And you and I both know you, your people are throwing everything in the ch- kitchen sink at them uh, at what to mm-hmm. do. And then um, when it may or may not help. So here's what I've got. Andy, I have a perplexing issue I need help with. We have a hen with one bubbly discharging eye. The other eye is fine, and there is no nasal discharge, and her comb is of normal color. I have her isolated. And I have her on vitamins and electrolytes and vet RX one to two times a day. My question is, would it be wise to go ahead and treat her as well as the entire flock with duramycin 10 in their water to alleviate alleviate the risk of an outbreak? Thanks, buddy. And then I put, uh, of course, you know, try to listen to the show today. He's at work, so I will definitely get him the archive. Um, but I also have... Um, uh, some more information to give you, Peter. So that, that's kind of what it started with. And um, she is a 22-week-old Americana. She has clear bubbly discharge from just one eye. Um, no, nasal, no nasal discharge. Um, let's see. Um, she, he can't really tell if she's, he, she's making the, occasion, the occasional just normal chicken sound or if there was a hack kind of a hack or a cough involved. They noticed the discharge yesterday morning and immediately isolated her. Um, she flushed her, notri- flushed her nostrils with warm VetRx solution this morning. Um, there doesn't seem to be any swelling around that affected eye that has the discharge. And um, 
And I think that's, wait, that's all I got. She's drinking and eating okay, though I didn't see much poop in her cage this morning because she is isolated. So that's what we've got, and we hear this a lot, you know. So so it presents with uh, basically a uh, um, a nasty eye uh, with a discharge, and, and really right here that that's all that, that we're dealing with. And so, you know, where do we start? Where where do we go? Do we just run out of tractor supply and get this because it's available? Do I, you know, I post it on the blog and I get all this information, all these things I mentioned, Thailand 50, Thailand 200, Batrol, the Duramycin, the Tetracycline. All, and some things are named the same, the same medication but named differently. So so um, what what do you say to, to David and everybody else that maybe presents this? And then I'm going to go and I'm going to find another uh, presentation that was on a blog that we can talk about as well. Did he tell you how long it was going on? Okay, yeah, it just started uh, yesterday. He noticed the the eye okay. drainage yesterday morning. Okay. Well, I think that um, you know the, the way I I always try to approach these things. I think he was real smart. He followed uh, what I would consider a reasonable protocol: taking the bird out of the flock and isolating it uh, as best you can. Okay, let me get over to the chat room because I lost uh, I lost Peter, and I don't hear anything. So let me get back over. I know he's on a different line. I know he's on, a I think, his Vonage account. So let me see what I've got here. I can hear you. Peter, you Okay. We, yep. We could, I just, I just, the only thing I heard was he did the right thing with isolating her, and then I lost everything else up until you coming back and saying, I can hear you. Okay. Uh, uh, if it continues, I'll, I will swap phones. I, I won't put up with something that's not okay. going to give us so you know, the quality show that we want. Yeah, um, that, that's fine. If it happens again, I will definitely let you know. I know I happened uh, okay. last week on the broadcast a couple of times. Uh, I got notified from the chat room, but we'll try it again. Um, so he, he did the good biosecurity, isolating the bird, and then, that, and then uh, after that. Okay, then, then the next issue is, you know, how, how do you keep um, – how do you tend to that bird and tend to your, your uh, uh, healthy flock at the same time? And therein, uh, you know, lies a, a dilemma for, for most most people. So one of the ways to to do that is to, um, uh, and it's and it's very difficult for people to do, but make sure the bird has plenty of food and water, uh, so that it it can be the last bird that you touch for the day, not the first, but the last. So you may get up in the morning, tend your other flock. Now, if you're administering medication, it might be a different story. But I would you know use a water medication and and uh, make sure there's plenty of water. And uh, maybe do that one at the very end of the day. So the bird's going to have plenty of food, plenty of water. You're going to tend to your healthy birds first, okay? And then you're going to go at the end of the day, and you're going to tend to this bird, check it out, see where it is, uh, and, and so on. It's a difficult thing to do because if you've got a bird that's really in, in severe distress that may require being handled more often, it, it, it does present another dilemma. Now, how do you go about doing that? Um, and most people, you know, um, and I know this from, from people's, experiences that I've I've had over the years. They're not going to go out and buy the Tyvek suit and the booties and the hat and all that kind of stuff. They're they're not going to do all of the other things. They're going to do the isolation part. Uh, but I always have a problem with that, you know, from the standpoint. Now, now what do you do? So anyway, he's done the right thing, uh, isolated the bird. Um, I think that uh, the warm Vetrex uh, in the nostrils is a good thing. I don't think it's going to take the problem away. Uh, it, it may do so temporarily. I think one of the tip-offs here, uh, and if you go back in the archives and you look at the uh, shows we've done on mycoplasma and stuff, uh, I said at that time that um, uh, if you remember, I said that uh, uh, when you 
going someplace to buy some birds, do the drive-by routine and all that stuff. And then when you finally decide to go in and, and look at the birds, one of the uh, things that I would do before I even uh, thought about purchasing the birds would be to examine it from head to toe and then uh, close its mouth and close off its nostrils for 15, 20 seconds. And if it bubbles in the corner of the eyes, and they're usually little tiny foamy bubbles. They're, you generally don't get this, yard, uh, you know, like you're blowing bubbles out of a, out of a container. Uh, you get this, this foaming, we call it, uh, in the corner of the eye. And it is not scientific, but it's extremely accurate in, in uh, picking up upper respiratory problems. So the fact that this bird's already foaming from the eye uh, leads me to believe this is a little deeper than you might think, uh, and it probably warrants uh, a medication. Um, the, the other issue is, you know, where do I start? What do I use? Um, it depends on what you have access to. If Duramycin 10 is the only thing that he has access to, uh, then I would, uh, you know, take that Duramycin 10 and put a heaping tablespoon in a gallon of water. Uh, and uh, if you able to keep it in the refrigerator in a container that's marked so nobody thinks it's lemonade and starts drinking it, um, especially if you have children. Um, so you might keep it in the refrigerator. You can get a couple, three days out of that easily. Uh, it's the temperature and... Okay, Peter, I don't know if you can uh, hear me or not now, but you just disappeared again. So I'm going to um, I'm going to go over here. Are you there? I can hear you now. Yeah, give me give me two minutes. I'll call you right back. Okay, great. Thank you. Yep, we'll go ahead and nip this in the bud and make sure that uh, we get uh, Peter called back on a uh, landline. I think he was using his lodging account that he has set up with another uh, company to take uh, uh, chicken medical calls, believe it or not, a designated line. And um, so we'll get him to call in on a landline because this is too uh, important a topic to have that going on. We don't want to lose listeners because of a technical issue when this is very important um, information uh, to have. So um, if you'll bear with us for a second and uh, go ahead and uh, and do that. <clears throat> so um, when he calls back in. And, and again, we completely know because we beat this dead horse a thousand times. We know there may not be a chicken vet where you live. There may not even be a vet that sees chickens. Um, there may not be a poultry extension specialist through the uh, the extension there with your state. There may not be a state poultry lab. There may not be a university close by that, may, that has agriculture department with chickens. We get that, and that's why we have the show. So um, let's go back over. Here we go. We've got it calling in, and uh, we've got Peter back on. Thank you very much for doing that, Peter. Uh, sure, no problem. Feel free to it. So, so we got the part where you know, depending on what he has available, uh, <coughs> there are nice and uh, tin and and in the, the water. I guess we we're talking about, and if that's all he has access to, but. Uh, yeah, I think you were going to kind of cover maybe a different route. Yeah, I would I would put it in, in the in the drinking water, a heaping tablespoon to a gallon of water. Um, you can easily uh, hold that in a refrigerated uh, state. So we put it in a refrigerator, mark it so the kids don't drink it, and let everybody know that it's not lemonade. <coughs> Excuse me. And then uh, you know you can work out of that. You don't have to waste a lot of it. Uh, and then when you do go in to uh, uh, to take care of this bird, you know, dump out what's there and put put fresh uh, uh, medication in, uh, gauge the bird's progress, and so on. But the other thing that you need to do then is to keep a vigil, a vigil uh, eye on the remainder of the flock for any additional symptoms uh, with anybody else. Um, so let's back up just a step. <clears throat> uh, what you want to try to do here uh, and is determine whether this is a viral issue or a bacterial issue. Because if it's if it is viral, then you have to uh, you know uh, 
really do some more work to find out which one it is. Um, for instance, is it Newcastle? Is it bronchitis? Is it laryngotracheitis? Those are the three main uh, respiratory type uh, issues, even though Newcastle isn't always uh, a purely respiratory thing. It can cause respiratory type uh, symptoms. So uh, it has other symptoms that, that go along with it. But that being said, uh, uh, you need to try to determine what you're dealing with, and that's one of the ways of, of doing it. Everybody's so frightened of a uh, of a respiratory uh, issue um, that they, you know, the first thing they do is get on the internet and start asking around instead of using good old common sense uh, on their own part. Of course, there's there's always the flip side of it. They may not have a whole lot of common sense because I've seen a lot of that around lately. Uh, hey, no, one, one, you had mentioned one of them, and I had posted on on one of the, the sites that. Um, trying to find a, a proper diagnosis is a good thing. Many poultry infectious diseases have similar clinical signs, including infectious coryza, foul cholera, Newcastle disease, and infectious bron- bronchitis, and, and mycoplasma, all of those. So so I'm, I'm not going to interrupt you again, but I will eventually, later in the show, um, after we cover this, this next issue, maybe we can go through these, and, and, and there may be not, not a way to say this if you have this, probably will rule out this, or this may rule out that. Not a guarantee, uh, but but just you know to try to pinpoint some of these things. And and if there is a big major treatment in in the ones that I had just listed, so carry on. Okay, so you know uh, the, you have to make that decision. Now he's in a position to make the decision. He has the bird isolated. Uh, he's giving the vetrex. Um, I would probably go one step further with this bird. He did, you know, I like the idea that he used the Vetrex to do nasal flushing, and uh, if he was able to actually get it to come out the top of the mouth uh, in true nasal flushing form, uh, that's great uh, because that's going to get uh, the uh, uh, the solution uh, up to where you know where it needs to be. So uh, from from that standpoint, uh, it, it's it's a good thing. And I know some of those things uh, that are in that the oil of oregano. Uh, the oil of balsam, the oil of rosemary, uh, and so on. They uh, and the camphorated oil that's in it. Uh, you know, they are definitely antibacterial and stuff, and maybe even virucidal when it comes in direct contact with it. But that, <clears throat> that being said, uh, the total issue may not be just in the in the head area. If it's in the uh, trachea, if it's in the air sacs, it's in the lungs. Um, as a general rule, you're not going to be able to get you know the Vetrex to absorb down to that level and, and give you the relief that you're going to, going to need. So I would, if they were mine, and I didn't have anything other than uh, at my disposal immediately the uh, the Duramycin, I'd go and get a bag of that, uh, heaping tablespoon of that in a gallon of water, still keep this bird isolated, uh, make the bird the one that you handle at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, then, you go back to the house, you throw your clothes in the washer, uh, you go take your shower and do whatever you do, each dinner and stuff, and you don't go back. If you have to go back out, you can go back out then to the healthy birds uh, in a cleaned-up state. So you're going to you know, uh, wash your hair, do the whole bit. And I, I guarantee you most people are not going to take that much effort. But if they do, that's, that's the proper uh, way to do it. Um, and uh, go out and observe your flock. Go out at night after they've all gone to roost. They're all bedded down. They're all quiet. Open the door, step inside real quiet, and just stand there for five or ten minutes. And see if anybody else is snicking, snorting, um, choking, uh, rattling, making any any uh, any noises that are that would be different from you what you would hear on, on any other normal time when everybody was healthy. <clears throat> that in itself will give you an idea of of where the flock is. As a general rule, another rule of thumb to to look at these things. One of the reasons we're doing it this way and not going ahead and medicating the other flock, there may be no need to. 
Okay, he may have caught this uh, early enough that this is just a one bird incident. I've seen it happen before, where for whatever reason one bird shows respiratory symptoms, responds to an antibiotic, <clears throat> the rest of the flock never does come down with it. So, in keeping with my my uh, uh, theories of of not medicating birds that don't need to be medicated, I would not at this point uh, embark on that type of a program. Now, if you go out there tonight and you start hearing some more snicking and snorting and you've got another one with some eye issues and uh, and so on, uh, then I would certainly uh, go ahead and move forward with a, uh, a flock treatment and uh, I would move on to, to something else. So we generally look at viral uh, diseases spreading quite rapidly, okay? Uh, the bacterial ones, as a general rule, except for coryza, uh, generally uh, will spread a lot slower uh, in a flock. Uh, now, if there is a mixture of uh, several different organisms on the on the uh, um, uh, bacterial side, for instance, if you have mycoplasma complicated with E. coli, uh, and E. coli one is pretty aggressive, that can move bird to bird a lot faster than normal. But it generally doesn't move as fast as your viral ones, your Newcastle, your bronchitis, your LT, especially the Newcastle. Uh, I'm sorry, the bronchitis and the LT move extremely fast through a flock. <clears throat> okay, two to five days. But generally, we will not see that kind of movement uh, in a flock with uh, mycoplasma. Uh, we might see uh, five, six days uh, or so uh, with uh, coryza, okay, which is a bacteria. So your coryza, your MG, MS, uh, your falcol are going to be slower going through a flock uh, than would be your Newcastle, your bronchitis, uh, and your LT. And the only way you're going to do it, I mean, the only other way to get a definitive answer is to, uh, you know, take the sick bird uh either take a tracheal swab from it and take that swab to the lab, which allows you to still keep the bird, or uh, euthanize the bird and take the fresh carcass to the laboratory and, and find out. But that's still going to take you, you know, a week, uh, you know, to find out. You may get a gross necropsy finding in a day or so, but you're not going to get the answers back as a general rule from most of the testing uh, uh, for anywhere from, you know, four, five, six, seven days. In some states it's longer. It just depends on their workload and where they had to send it if they do it in-house or send it out to another area of the state or, or whatever to get the uh, testing done. Testing is your best bet because it, it allows you to make that decision, whether it's a virus that you can vaccinate for or uh, if it's a virus that you uh, can't vaccinate for once it's uh, gotten into the flock, uh, similar to like bronchitis, we just let it run its course. Uh, Newcastle, we generally do the same thing. You let it run its course, does its damage, uh, and, and you're done. LT, on the other hand, uh, we're fortunate that we can vaccinate. That's the only real way to stop it. So, um, Trying to make the decision as to what it is, uh, you have to know the symptoms of the diseases, how they how they move from from uh, one bird to the next. And uh, by doing that, and by having that information, you can make some real good decisions on uh, you know what you need to do and 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 how you need to uh, move forward, uh, either with uh, medication or not. Now, sometimes uh, during a, a viral infection, we will uh, go in and. Uh, treat what we call a secondary bacterial infection. If you've got an infection of E. coli going on at the same time, uh, which can happen with uh, bronchitis, uh, we see that quite often. Uh, you know, you might want to treat the E. coli, which will shorten the course of the, of the bronchitis portion of it. It will do nothing for the bronchitis portion of it, but it will uh, you know, make it go away quicker than it would uh, if you just left it alone uh, when it has a secondary bacterial infection of, of E. coli or pseudomonas or uh, or one of those uh, other bacteria that's going on. So um, this, to me, is one of the best ways uh, of doing things. Um, it, it allows you to keep the bird isolated. 
uh, if you use the proper protocol, you should really have the best shot at uh, keeping your remaining healthy birds uh, uh, free of, of what's ever going on until you get a handle on it. Uh, there's always the other route that you could take, and I, uh, on occasion I do recommend this to people, but as a general rule, it's not my way of thinking. But um, let's, for argument's sake, say the seller has 100 birds and we got one sick. Are you better to knock one in the head now and, and nip it in the bud and be done with it or risk the other 99 birds that are still in the flock? Um, I, I had suggested this to somebody uh, earlier today uh, who had purchased some birds, and uh, they're in quarantine and have been sick for a month. And my question was, you know, do we... Uh, take care of the birds that are in quarantine, get rid of them, disinfect everything, and, and be done with it? Or do we try to medicate them somewhere along the line and make them well enough to be introduced back into a flock of birds that are presumed to be at this point healthy uh, and then have something in two weeks' time break out from these these particular birds and make everybody sick? Uh, it's kind of like the Trojan horse theory, you know. And uh, uh, if, if the birds were mine and I was forced into that particular situation, I would certainly... Uh, uh, put those birds down and, and never let them see the light of day in my flock at all. And, um, uh, you know, and those are all personal decisions and not decisions that I can make for people, but it's a suggestion uh, rather than, because you can spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars trying to trying to clear some of these things up and you get them under control. And uh, it only takes uh, uh, some pressure within the flock, breeding, handling, cold, and God Almighty, in some places we've had enough cold that, that, that it'll bring out everything that's there. And that's, that's one of the reasons we're seeing some of these things. Uh, the Ohio National was just held a few weeks ago. And out of that, you know, when you get 10,000 birds or so uh, all in one uh, location, you know, you're not going to get 10,000 healthy birds. You're going to get a percentage that are healthy, and you're going to get another percentage that are not healthy. And um, that's just the way it is. That's, the showing has always been that way. That, you know, there's no real way at this point in time to, to stop healthy birds uh, from being exposed to unhealthy birds in those situations. Uh, it's close quarters, uh, people swapping birds around left and right, um, and, uh, you know, you always have that. So I feel a lot of questions, a lot of uh, sick birds coming out of those kinds of, of environments, uh, you know, due to uh, the, the sheer number of birds. I mean, if you ever go in some of these places um, uh, and you really take a good look at it and see the dust and stuff that's floating around, even, in, even uh, it has nothing to do with the facility being unclean it has to do with a, a zillion birds being all in one location and the birds just don't stand there they dig around they fly at each other they try to get it in the next cage and kill the other one or fight with them and i've seen females do it i've seen males do it it's common and in that the shavings that they're in that dust and the dander and stuff is all in the air floating all around everybody's getting it in their noses and their nostrils and, and their eyes and you're getting it on you and you go handle somebody else's birds uh, mites go from one cage to the next and so on and so forth so it, it is an issue and uh but one of the best ways to tell wh whether you've got an upper respiratory issue going on in a flock is pick them up close the beak close off the nostrils 15 20 seconds if they've got it as they try to breathe they'll blow the bubbles up in the corner of the eyes and you know you got an issue going on and then you need to address it i've talked to people till i'm blue in the face about the fact that you are by far better off to do some uh, due diligence and figure out what's going on in your flock. Most people are afraid because I understand it, and uh, and I would be too, to a degree, that in, in some states, if you're positive for particular diseases, they're going to quarantine you, they're going to they're you know, kill off your birds, or whatever. Uh, but, you know, there are some things you can do on, on your own. Uh, we're working on putting uh, the antigens and, and the paraphernalia together to... Uh, to test your birds yourself for mycoplasma. It can be done. It's simple. 
It's not hard. It's not overly expensive. The problem we're having right now is that there's only one manufacturer of the antigen, and there probably only will be one going forward. And the problem with that is that the antigens are all dated, and you're probably looking at six to eight months uh, dating on these things. For me, it's not long enough. Um, the problem with you know each each one I believe will do uh, 200 birds, uh, 200 tests out of uh, out of one vial. Um, it's done similar to, uh, but not exactly the same as the pleurum test. So if you're a pleurum tester, you can do this easily. If you're not a pleurum tester, but you've seen it done, you can still do it easily. It requires uh, another step or two, and that is the, the pleurum test uh, deals with the whole blood as it comes out of the bird, so you don't have to separate it. For mycoplasma, you have to separate the, the serum out from the blood clot, okay, from the whole blood. So you'll have to take some, uh, and it'll require a clean syringe for each bird, so there's an additional expense there. And you'll pull up a little bit of blood, uh, about a half a cc is all you're going to need, and uh, you'll pull a plunger out on that uh, syringe to uh, flatten out the uh, uh, the uh, blood, and you let it sit on the counter. You'll mark it, and let it sit on the counter or wherever, uh, in a warm temperature. Room temperature is good, uh, out of direct sunlight for a couple of hours until it separates. And you'll see it separate because if you've done it properly, you'll see that there's a uh, amber-colored fluid that starts to uh, uh, go around the, uh, the the blood clot. And it's a drop of that amber-colored fluid and a drop of your antigen mixed on the same plate that you read your pleurum on. Uh, and, and handle the same way. Pick it up, rotate it, and, and read it after three minutes, and uh, it's read the same way. If it's clumpy and grainy, it's positive. If not, it's negative. So it can be done. Just people just don't want to spend the money, number one. Number two, I think a lot of people out there would rather not know. And I will go back and I will say, um, I obviously don't use names of people would never do so, but um, I was informed uh, that this particular uh, uh group of birds that uh, are been in quarantine for a month uh, came from a flock that's certified NPIP clean. And unless you uh, have bought into the whole NPIP program and your AI NP, uh, and, and Spalorum and Mycoplasma clean, doesn't mean a thing at the end of the day. All it means is that, you know, your birds don't have avian influenza, which 99.999% of birds do not, and uh, that they're Pilorum free. And, um, you know, most people don't want to participate in that other part because they're afraid. And I get it, but you can do it on your own. And, you know, you can do it on your own, and you're the only one that I have suggested to people. I said, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be really smart if you're going to be selling birds and selling eggs, you know, to test your own birds, get comfortable with the test, get somebody that does the uh, pleurum testing to give you a hand. Uh, that way you've got uh, two heads better than one. One's experienced doing all of the, 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 the bleeding and, and reading of it. And... Uh, you know, if you've got to hire them, hire them for a day and come and, and do all of this, get it done, and uh, keep a record of everything. And once you find out what your status is, you can move forward from there, okay? Um, you can try to clean it up, which is, is doable, more expensive, but it's doable. And, uh, uh, you know, but wouldn't it be great to, to have them all test negative? And then I would venture out and step out and take some samples uh, from this, the same group uh, to my state lab and get the results from them. So now you've got your results of your testing, you've got your state lab testing, you have proof, proof positive that your birds are MG negative. To me, that commands a premium in the marketplace. And if a person doesn't want to spend the money extra for birds that are certified, more or less, by the, the state test, by your test, and your continued testing, it isn't going to get any better than that, folks. It isn't. And if you're not willing to pay pay that extra, I just wouldn't sell my eggs to you. I, I, I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't sell my chicks to you. I wouldn't sell my birds to you because it proves to me that that individual would not be interested in keeping healthy birds. Okay, but people are afraid, uh, you know, to do it. Now, we've gotten just a little bit away from the actual subject here, but. Uh, at the end of the day, the way you want to do this respiratory thing, and I did go over that, is you want to determine how it spreads, how it's spreading bird to bird, fast, slow. Uh, and if you do have this bird in quarantine like he does, and he does put an antibiotic on it, does it respond to the antibiotic? Okay? After three or four days of being on that antibiotic at that level, a heaping tablespoon of the uh, duramycin uh, to a gallon of water, uh, you should see some response. Now, the other thing you can do if nobody else is getting sick and this bird isn't really recovering, uh, again, you can put the bird down or you can go get a different antibiotic. And then I would suggest uh, either Thailand or, um, or gallomycin, one of the two, and uh, you know, go about it that way. If, generally speaking, if it's a, uh, uh, a small bird, I like to go with a quarter of a cc twice a day. And uh, it's, it's real simple to do. It's not overly uh, expensive, any of it, but... Uh, you can also use that product then to do nasal flushing. I have those directions. Be glad to give them to anybody that uh, sends me an email requesting it. What, uh, which product is this now? Uh, Thailand injectable. You can you can buy oh, it uh, any, anywhere. You know. And again, and there's another one. There's another Thailand one. It's always short dated. Pardon? Okay. Thailand 50. Thailand 200. Thailand 50. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I don't like the Thailand 200 because Thailand 200 is four times stronger than the uh, the Thailand 50. And everybody wants to try to save a buck, so they buy a bottle of Thailand 200. Uh, and um, certainly for every cc, you're getting four times the amount you would with the Thailand uh, 50. But it's easier to give smaller doses of the Thailand 50 than it is the Thailand 200. And one mistake with the Thailand 200 could cost your bird, because any bird that is uh, somewhat sensitive to it or a little bit too much of it, uh, uh, and I know there's people that have given you know, I've heard people before, I give them a CC of Thailand 200. Well, if they survive that, they'll probably survive anything, but that's way too much. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I prefer the, the other route, and I also prefer the twice a day uh, because that helps keep the blood level up. Okay, and uh, It's no different than you going to the doctor, doctor unless you're taking one of the new time-release pills. Okay, uh, you, know, you generally take uh, something every four to eight hours. And, it's a, and the reason for that is so that the antibiotic level is kept up to, to where it's going to be therapeutic in your in your body and do you some good, whereas some of the others, um, you know, it's it's not. And so if you give the, the shot early in the morning, let's say you give the shot seven eight o'clock in the morning, well by noontime there's probably not a whole lot circulating in there, you know, compared to what there was early on in the day. And uh, so I recommend usually uh, twice a day and. and uh, uh, we've been pretty successful with that, and just just depends on, on the bird. You know, when when we use other antibiotics, uh, we we do what we call pulse dosing one one large dose of a safe antibiotic up front, uh, and maybe one again in the evening, and then go back to a normal dose the next day. That way, you get the, the blood pumped up high with the antibiotic, you get it circulating good, and you come back in the morning, and you, you still got something going on. And uh, see, that's part of the problem with using sulfadiethoxine for coxie or anything else. Okay, besides the fact that it's hard on the kidneys, you can't give it five or six days straight like you can the sulfadiethoxine. So you're twice better off with the sulfadiethoxine because you can get a, a, a level of the sulfur in the bird's bloodstream on a daily basis, where with the other one you can't, okay, because the other one stays in the system longer, uh, which uh, is supposed to be better for you, but it, it really isn't, in my opinion, at the end of the day, not from the experience that I have of it. And I know there's a zillion people out there that just love Soma, and that's fine, I'm okay with it. 
you know it's uh but um you know it's it's it all depends on on uh on on which direction a person wants to go this the fellow started off in the right direction by isolating the spurt, so he needs to now uh make a decision in my opinion uh by tonight whether he's going to go ahead and medicate this bird, eliminate this bird, and uh, do the due diligence and, and stuff with the other birds and keep a close eye on them, go in at night, listen to them, and see where, because that's exactly what I would do, have done in the past, and been very successful doing it that way. It's when you ignore it that it comes back to bite you, and uh, there's plenty of that going on. You there, Peter? Yep, I'm here. Okay, I got disconnected for some reason, and I tried to call back, and I wasn't let me in. <laughs> Finally, I got back into the switchboard myself. So uh, just a te- te- technical glitches today with Blog Talk Radio. So um, let, let me ask you this: um, if you if you had somebody that said, what, what would your train of thought have said? Um, uh, Thailand has never worked for me for some reason, but uh, OxyTet does. Um, uh, would that be an issue of that particular uh, respiratory illness, or they, they, they were treating something that Thailand um, wouldn't have helped anyway? Why, why would maybe Thailand they have a better uh, reaction to um, say OxyTet than um, uh, Thailand maybe? Well, I guess, uh, and I'm going to be h- harsh with this, I'm sure. Um, that would be the context of, of, of how it's being being used. Um, in other words, um, most of of the things that I see like that, you know, Thailand never worked for me, um, mm-hmm. means you know a couple of things to me. Uh, I would never buy Thailand because it's too expensive. Uh, that's why it never worked for me. Probably never used it in the first place. And I'm not saying everybody, but I I, I just I, I know I can tell. I've been doing it a long time, and you can seek out little things, uh, little mm-hmm. innuendo things that people do. No, it probably never worked for them because they probably never used it. If they did, they probably didn't use it right because there's a whole lot of people that like to use it in the water. Okay, and there's a big difference of putting it in the water. So if you're using a teaspoon of the Thailand water-soluble powder, uh, how do you equate that to Thailand 200, Thailand 50, and everything else? And I know there's people going and using little children's uh, pediatric sites and stuff and putting in, you know, it's not the same. It's not the mm-hmm. same, you know. And so uh, maybe they did use it and, uh, you know, didn't use it for the, uh, the the recommended period of time because nothing galls me more than go online and somebody says, yep, used Thailand for two days, didn't do any good, or I, or I used Thailand for two days and my problem went away. Well, you know, you're supposed to use it for a lot longer whether the problem went away or not. Uh, and when you keep doing these things, you know, you keep inviting, you know, the antibiotic resistance and so on and so forth. And that stuff doesn't happen overnight uh, as a general rule. 
uh, with the you know, antibiotic resistance, but you're not helping yourself when you do these things. Okay, uh, I'm not a big fan of of Thailand up front. I like to start at the lower end. Okay, right. I do like the oxytetracycline, which is a sister drug to the duramycin. Duramycin being tetracycline, oxytetracycline being the active ingredient in the old product called teramycin. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you could also use uh, the uh, oreomycin, which is chlortetracycline. They're all sister drugs. They're all one closely related to each other. The issue is if you're going to use oxytet, you're going to use oreomycin, make sure you get the concentrated form. Okay. It's a, it's a big difference. For instance, uh, the Oxytet that I sell, it's a 280-gram bag, but there's 102.4 grams of Oxytetracycline in the bag. And we've said this a zillion times when we, the old teramycin was available. Now there is a generic teramycin out uh, on, on the market. Uh, I don't carry it because it's ridiculous to have to sell something for uh, very close to what I sell the Oxytet for um, when you can buy the Oxytet, which is equal to 10 bags of the other stuff. You know, when I sell a, a bag of Oxytet online for 1050, it's the equivalent on an active ingredient basis to 10 bags of the old teramycin. The old teramycin only had 10 grams of active ingredient in it. It was a big bag. It was a big bag of nothing. 6.4 ounces, 181.4 <laughs> grams. Whoa, we got a whole lot of stuff here, and we only paid $6 for it. He wants $10 for that bag over there. Yeah, you know, it's the same old story. But, um, right. no. It, what was the it, dose again for, that you recommended for Thailand 50? What was the dose? Uh, I, I recommend, uh, especially on small birds, uh, no more than a quarter of a cc twice a day. And if you got real, real small birds, uh, you might just want to give a quarter of a cc. Okay. And then for your standard? Uh, five, standard five to seven days. See, that's okay. one of the reasons why I don't like injectables, because, and, and people don't, you know, and again, it comes back to people's time. That's why they don't do it for five to seven days. Almost so all like of the, your, uh, pardon? For like a Buff Orpington, Rhode Island Red, what would be the dose be of the Thailand 50? CC. Um, I, I would Probably. say I would say that I, I wouldn't hesitate giving a half a CC twice a day. That's a question. Okay, good. Yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't hesitate to do that. You know, as long as you spread it out, you're going to be okay. When you start bunching it up, you know, if you forget to do it, just forget it and go on to the next day. The, you know, big big birds can handle it uh, a lot better than the, than the little birds, mm-hmm. but. Uh, uh, Okay, I'm not. I'm not going to pick on this person because we 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 in the fall magazine, uh, in the fall issue, you had a thing on all of oregano. We're going to probably doing one in the spring, maybe on uh, curcumin. Um, um, so so we get that, and, and we are by if you listen to the show on a regular basis, people get that we are not anti all natural or you know that that type of thing. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely but, cause, not. Cause we're definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, but absolutely if, not. If you if you were presented with this bubbly, maybe swollen eye with the discharge like we were just talking about in the first the first uh, scenario of the of the thing. Mm-hmm. And and you heard someone say, Oh well, put vitamins in their water, give them some oatmeal and scrambled eggs and maybe some garlic in their food as well as an immune booster and see what happens. Um because I'm not picking on this person, but but that and and that's all that you did. Are are we gonna look at um this bird getting much sicker. I mean, again, again, it's a speculation. Um, is this? Is this? I mean, we could we could we end up with a dead bird because we didn't do something more appropriate, or um, or now we're risking because you maybe didn't isolate them and you're dealing, going with the scrambled eggs, oatmeal, vitamins, and garlic um, that you may have a chance now of other birds catching this versus starting that bird on something like the antibiotic, um, mm-hmm. or can you do what she just said? 
and um, and and also do the the. the Lost it there. Sorry about that. I get disconnected again, Peter. Shame on you, Verizon. Shame on you. <laughs> um, and quickly to to go to to cut that a little short so that we can we can get some more stuff accomplished here. Um, it has been my experience that bringing some of these natural products in uh, late in the game uh, generally doesn't have a positive outcome. And I know there are people that will dispute that. Uh, and right. I'm okay. With, I'm okay with that. But I'm talking about my own experiences with them. I've been investigating these things for many, many years, and have only found a handful of things that really, uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, do a great job. Um, that's not to say that uh, some of these other things. See here, the active ingredient in, in garlic. Forget the scrambled eggs and oatmeal. That's just that's just for, that's a human thing. That's a that's a that's trying to soothe your own head. But getting down to to the uh, to the nitty gritty of what works, what doesn't work, the active ingredient in in uh, in garlic is allicin, and it's a very fragile molecule. So unless your garlic is really really fresh, okay, um, you're probably going to have a hard time uh, really getting anywhere with it. I mean, I've seen the research studies on the. Uh, 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 the uh, the Allison-based salves that they use for MRSA, and it does work, but it's got to be uh, a uh, it's got to be uh, encapsulated in, the, in a special way. And there's only one company around, I, and I'd have to find my my data on that, but to to go further into that end of it. But uh, it it does work. You see what I'm saying? It does work. Just like turmeric is good, curcumin is better. Curcumin potentiated with bioperine or the black peppercorn is better yet, you see. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm not saying to use turmeric by itself is not a good thing. It's certainly a good thing. Using curcumin is even better, and using both of them with the, with the bioperine or the piperine or the black peppercorn is even better yet. And so you're going to get your biggest bang for your buck uh, by, by using those things. Uh, and uh, so, you know, using, you know, using, using garlic... I've seen it go all the way around. If you're not, here's my interpretation of it. If you're not using these natural products on a daily basis, my, even my oil of oregano included, by the time you get it in the water and it starts really doing something, you got, it's an uphill battle. And I've talked to, to uh, Dr. Bharat Agarwal uh, from the MD Anderson Cancer Research Center about this, and uh, he said the same thing to me. He said in a lot of these cases, cancers and, and so on and so forth, he said, uh, you know, if you're going to wait, um, 
you know, to try these things. And when he got, you know, full-blown stage four cancer, he said the outcome is usually not good. You know, if, mm-hmm. and, and 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 we know this. I mean, the research is there. I mean, it it really, you know, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, and I, I'm not about to fight with anybody that thinks that if they've used uh, garlic or any other natural substance and it's been good for them, if it's working for you, I can't see any reason to change it. But I can also, mm-hmm. you know, pile up a whole bunch of people on the other side of the fence that have used it and have a whole dead bunch of birds, you know. So uh, circumstances are, are different. And, uh, I'll, I, I, I'll, uh, you know, as an everyday thing, I wouldn't poo-poo it at all. Not at all. No, sir. Absolutely. Let's do this, because I think this is, is as important uh, as, as since we have maybe, we'll just say, 15 minutes left. Um, and uh, I talk about, and, and I'll give you an example, and, and people who listen to the show are tired of hearing this, but for those that are listening today because of the topic matter, it's, it's like the folks that say um, uh, pumpkin seeds prevent worms and chickens. And I ask them, well, how do you know this to be true? Because I give my chickens pumpkin seeds, and they don't have worms. And my follow-up question is, have you ever had them tested for worms to see if they have them or not? Well, no. So so how do you know that statement to be true? You do not know. Um, right. and, and you need to test them ahead of time to see if they have worms. Give them all the pumpkin seeds you want, and then have them tested again, and then and then see if they don't have worms. That's the only way. Otherwise, yeah. you're getting on these blogs and forums and say pumpkin seeds prevent worms and chickens, and you've never even had them tested once to see if they even have worms. It's just, yeah. oh, because I don't see them, or my chickens don't have worms. Well, how do you know they don't yeah. have worms? You've never had yeah. them tested. So so that that's a perfect example um, uh, in that situation. What, what would be some things, Peter, like, some of these that uh, um, um, maybe um, not to get into detail because we talked about all of these on the shows on the previous shows, but for for this show, uh, and, and I'll name these that they're on the top of my list here. Um, if there's any one thing between these that would make you think it was one or the other, again, that's the typical backyard uh, flock keeper. And, and again, they, they may not need to know what this, that, or the other. But maybe, like I said, could this be uh, Corizo, or maybe foul cholera, or maybe uh, the Newcastle, or infectious bronchitis, mm-hmm. or microplasma. Is, is there something out of those I named? Because I know a lot of them may present with the same issue, and so it may, it may be moot covering it. But is there something, uh, say, with uh, Corizo that, oh, this lean, leans to me more towards Corizo, or this leans me okay. more towards infectious bronchitis that that type of thing okay. not that we want right. so to let's, diagnose let's let's start right there where where you where you uh okay. started out with 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 the chryzer and then I'll move over to the bronchitis because it's a good analogy okay. Uh, okay. uh you know in contrast one to the other okay um one chryzer is a bacteria Haemophilus paragallinarium being the uh causative uh, bacteria okay you really don't need to know that but that's that's what it is and bronchitis is a virus okay they are going to act totally different in that flock. And uh, you should, uh, you can never make a definitive diagnosis, you know, say mm-hmm. definitely sure. But, uh, again, earlier I stated how these things move through that flock. One of the things you're going to see with uh, bronchitis that you generally do not see with coryza is that the birds look like they have watery eyes. Just looks like you, you know, when you poke yourself in the eye by accident, and the eye just continues to water and water and water and water. That's how they look: glassy-eyed, watery. Um, you may or may not see some swelling around the head, and that depends on whether or not there's a, a secondary bacterial infection of E. coli with the bronchitis. Okay, um, you will get rattling, 
um, uh, coughing, uh, sneezing, but you'll get rapid onset. These symptoms will start in two to two to uh, two to five days, and in seven days, it'll be everybody. Okay, and that's a, that's a huge thing. We talked earlier on. I said it depends on how it spreads to make that decision in your head, because that's how I do it when when people talk to me. I say, okay, uh, how long they had it? How many are dead? How many are affected? Uh, how fast is it spreading in a flock? You say, and then I can sit here and I can say, okay, if it's not spreading fast, probably not a virus. So you you don't rule them out. You just put them on the sideline, give a timeout, and start focusing your your thoughts then on what other kind of bacteria it could be, and and then move it in that direction. So one of the bis, the, the biggest misnomers with coryza is that people say, well, uh, I didn't think it was coryza because I didn't have the smell. You're not going to have a smell with coryza unless it is complicated with a secondary bacterial infection, generally E. coli, but it can be pseudomonas, it can be uh, uh, staph, it can be almost anything. It really doesn't matter. It can be a mixture of, of different bacterias uh, other than the coryza organism itself. But generally, with coryza versus the bronchitis, you're going to see um, snotty noses, uh, not that you can't see it with bronchitis, but it's not as common, okay? You're going to see cheesy stuff in the mouth. Uh, they, while the breath may not stink, it's still going to have an odor that is different, okay? But when they get that secondary bacterial infection, you'll know it. You'll put the bird up to your face, and you'll smell, and you'll move back quick, okay? Just like just like having somebody stick some Limburger cheese in your face. Same same scenario. <laughs> you're, going back, you're going to say, you eat that stuff, and you're going to back away from it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm sure there are loads of people that eat it and love it, but my father used to love it. I couldn't figure that out. But uh, at, at any rate, uh, you're going to see eye involvement. Uh, generally, we'll see some swelling around one eye, and it's not every bird. Uh, the nasal cleft lots of times will be uh, clogged up with uh, cheesy material. And this will take uh, a good week, slow spread compared to the bronchitis, okay? Slow spread through the flock. It's still faster than some of the others but it's still going to be a slow spread. So, okay, now let's, let's jump out here and throw in, because you mentioned foul cholera, okay? This is a disease that's not as common uh, in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the backyard flocks uh, as it once uh, used to be, okay? okay. Generally spread by uh, Haemophilus paragallinarium, uh, not, I'm sorry, uh, Pastorella multocida, and uh, can be very easily spread by rodents, okay, that are carrying it. Uh, they get in the feed and and and, and uh, defecate in it and urinate in it. Chicken comes along, picks it up. Somewhat slower moving through a flock. Not the same symptoms you generally see with the bronchitis at all. You will see, uh, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, with it. And the prominent thing you're going to see is a swelling of the comb and the wattles. They just blow up like somebody blew up those wattles with a balloon, like a balloon. And mm -hmm. that's one of the that's one of the tip-offs to it. And then it slowly moves from you know one bird to the next. I'd say maybe in 10 days to two weeks, you'll have a fair amount of birds in that flock. You will have some mortality. Um, and uh, the younger the birds are, uh, the worse it generally is uh, with the mortality, almost with all of these. Uh, certainly bronchitis and a, and a young uh, flock of young chicks, a couple, three weeks old, very hard on them because uh, their immune system isn't really even up to full speed yet. Okay, it's just getting going. So... Uh, so you can see already the, the, the differences between these, and you need to know these things. So if you don't know them, you can't make these kinds of, of decisions, okay? <laughs> so we got coryza, we got 
the, the uh, foul cholera, and we have the bronchitis. Yep. And now we'll throw LT into it, laryngotracheitis. Some people call it trachea. Hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought. I need to go to commercial break, and uh, we'll cover the next the next two. Uh, I got to get this commercial plate, and then I've got uh, someone had mentioned on my Facebook page a different antibiotic that uh, a, a poultry uh, state vet had mentioned, but hadn't seen it really on any blogs or forums or other chicken backyard chicken. So, so I'll mention that name to you uh, when we come back, folks. There's a lot more to come. We're talking with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. Visit him online, FirstStateVetSupply.com. We will return with more right after this short break. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for staying with us. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. How would you like a punch in the beak? This looks like a job for 
Super chicken. You get the super sauce. I'll don my super suit. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Our guest today, Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State vetsupply.com and uh, we're going through some of these things and maybe some key differences between some of these uh, re- the, uh, um, diseases that may cause some uh, present with some respiratory uh, signs and uh, symptoms and then don't let me forget someone had mentioned a specific antibiotic and I wanted to go through that uh, uh, once you're done with the comparison and we'll wrap the show up with uh, the, the, the most common antibiotics we'll see out there uh, maybe uh, the, the, the generic or the general um, doses for each, and we'll cover this new one that I, that I haven't heard of, which may be one that you've already mentioned because a lot of them are named kind of the same. This is the generic four and that type of thing. So I'll let you finish up the comparisons of the diseases we were talking about, Peter. Okay, so then we move on to uh, laryngotracheitis. Uh, like I said, some people call it Drake. Uh, LT is the most common uh, name that most people give to it. Now, this one is really prolific, spreads very, very quickly. Um, one of the worst uh, respiratory diseases that you can get. Uh, it is a virus. Uh, nothing basically stops it but vaccination. Uh, you know, if you had a, an outbreak uh, in, in a flock, uh, you would see it go through it very, very quickly. Uh, in a matter of three or four days, uh, just about everybody would start showing some, some symptoms from it. Uh, it might start out as a uh, uh, mild conjunctivitis in the eye, but generally, you'll you'll see birds uh, respiratory distress, rapid breathing, open mouth breathing, stretching the neck out in front of them, not necessarily on the ground, but that makes people think sometimes that they have gapeworms. And here's a tip off for most people: uh, if you ever encounter this disease and you're thinking gapeworms, it would be rare beyond rare if more than a few birds in a flock come down with gapeworm all at the same time. Okay. So let's say you had a flock of 50 birds and you went out in the morning and they were snicking and snorting, making noises, and uh, you know, 40, 50% of them were stretching their neck out and everything else, and your first thought is gapeworm. I would put gapeworm on the sidelines and start thinking about other things and looking into these birds' mouths. Uh, <clears throat> Laryngotracheitis LT has a tendency to make uh, the possibility of blood in the trachea, so you may see the birds start moving their head side to side, trying to sling the blood out. If, it, if it's, uh, mm-hmm. And if they do end up getting it out and there is blood present and it is LT, uh, you'll see it. It'll start coming out. It'll be on the side of the faces. It'll be on the next bird next to them. It'll be on the wall, although we generally uh, have not seen a whole lot of that type since the, uh, you know, the innovation of, uh, of the vaccines many, many years ago. But uh, So, you know, you can make some decisions. And, again, uh, with if you feel this is what it is, um, at the same time, you may want to get a laboratory diagnosis if you're really leaning on something like uh, LT. It spreads uh, very viciously. Uh, and I often tell this story back in the in the 70s. There was an outbreak of it in Germany. And um, most uh, commercial poultry companies, even here where I'm, I'm at, if they, uh, and they've controlled it very, very well here, uh, they, they pull the servicemen off the, off the road. Nobody goes to the farms and everything else. And uh, in Germany, they they uh, they did all of that, uh, kept the servicemen from going out, and it still was spreading farm to farm. They they couldn't figure out, you know, what was causing it, and didn't have any clue on on how to stop it. And uh, somebody said, well, the only common denominator is the feed trucks going from farm to farm. 
and lo and behold, that's what it was. So the dust coming out of the chicken houses being blown out by the exhaust fans and, and so on, just getting on the wheels of the truck and a truck going down the road to the next farm, leaving it behind. The farmer goes out to uh, do something around the feed bin or whatever and uh, picks it up, brings it into the chicken house, and voila, there you are. So once they started having each feed truck as it left the premise out on the road, disinfecting the tires and everything else, uh, it worked. And they were able to stop it, get it under control, and go in and vaccinate and get everything done. But So the, it's a very easy one to, to spread around. Bronchitis, the same way, very easy uh, to spread around. Not quite as easy as the LT one, but still very, very easy. Newcastle, very easy to spread around. Um, so when you start looking at these things, you can start to see now the stark differences between them. And it's knowing those differences and those subtle differences that will help you make your own decision, uh, diagnosis, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, as to what it is. And, you know, don't sit on an antibiotic forever. If you, if you feel it's a bacterial problem and you use Enduromycin 10, which, I, I, again, I do not have a problem with other than the fact that it's very dilute. So if you're going to use it, uh, you know, in a uh, in a much stronger uh, uh, solution by taking a good heaping tablespoon of it, I may uh, often say if you're going to use it, uh, get the biggest tablespoon you got and uh, crank it up and make believe it's a coal shovel and put that in a gallon of water and, you know, you, you're, you should be okay. And if it's going to work, it's going to work. The, the thing then is, is the organism that you're dealing with sensitive to that? You won't know that. The only other way to do these things is to get them to a laboratory. It all takes time. Meanwhile, your flock is getting sicker and sicker. So it, it would help uh, you, know, you to make these, uh, be able to be in a position to make these decisions uh, as to uh, you know, what's going on, on with the flock. Uh, now let's go and, and contrast this to mycoplasma. Mycoplasma is going to end up being more so like coryza and therein lies the problem, telling the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. I don't think up front, just between you and me and the fence post, I don't think uh, I would get in a big brain fight with myself, uh, Coriza, MG, MG, Coriza, Coriza, MG, MG, Coriza. I don't think it really matters at the end of the day because you're going to treat both the same way with antibiotics. Okay. Now, if you want to know what it is, after you get it all under control and the dust settles, then your next step is to take some samples to a laboratory. Okay. But they're both going to now, present. Now, with mycoplasma not having a cell wall, and, and we're treating with antibiotics that most times have to deal with something with a cell wall. If I'm correct, then are we just what are we doing with antibiotics in result in relation to mycoplasma? Uh, mycoplasma, you can use Thailand, you can use the Oxytet, you can use the Oxytet and Gallimiasin mixed together. You can use the Oxytet and Thailand water soluble mixed together. Um, um, any of them. If you've got a real big flock and you think it's uh, a problem uh, with coryza, uh, you can use the, uh, you know, to try to cut costs. And I recommend this to people with, you know, large flocks. Uh, get the sulfadiamethoxine and uh, uh, mix but it up. And you can. Pardon? Micro, isn't mycoplasma the, the one you talk about where, uh, that, you know, when someone says, oh, my flock had mycoplasma, I used antibiotic, and now they don't have any more, and, and you're like, no, because it doesn't have a cell wall. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll explain that. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain. I'll go back and explain that. But so okay. you could medicate. You could medicate with the sulfadiamethoxine for six days, save yourself a lot of money, and maybe come back in with eight or ten days of uh, gallimycin or Thailand or uh, oxytet Thailand oxytet gallimycin mixture. And you could save a lot of money by doing that because the the uh, sulfadiamethoxine is going to be a lot cheaper in the, in the long run. Okay. Uh, but what you're referring to there, Andy, is because the mycoplasma organism doesn't have a cell wall, 
uh, and it's also host-dependent, meaning it needs the bird to survive, does not survive well outside the bird's body. So it doesn't have the cell wall to protect it. So if you were using an antibiotic such as penicillin and you gave it to the bird and the bird got better, you'd know right off the bat it couldn't possibly be mycoplasma because the okay. mode of action or the way that the penicillin uh, eliminates an organ, organism from the body uh, is to destroy the cell wall. So it has no action because there's no cell wall to destroy. So you're thinking at that point it's probably, it may be coriza because it actually helps. That's the direction I would go in. Yeah. Okay. And, and again, and again, so, let me say this because people will people will say, well, you know, you don't know, you don't know, because I've run into this a lot. People say, well, uh, yeah, you test your birds today, but they could show up positive tomorrow. Not likely. Okay. Not likely. And that's why you test birds. If you're going to go into a testing program, you try to do it every 90 days. That's why here uh, in in uh, uh, you know, and I said this on the show before. I thought this was kind of ironic. You know, you can go to a country that. Uh, uh, and treat people for Ebola, and you can come back to this country and uh, write on a piece of paper, no, I wasn't exposed, and you can go about your business, but you can't show a chicken in this country anywhere legally unless they've been tested for Pilorum. You can't go okay. in the state of Delaware, Maryland, oh, Pennsylvania, and Virginia unless they've been tested for AI and Pilorum, but you can go in any one of those states if you've been to Africa or any other place. And I'm not trying to you know, mm-hmm. uh, put anybody else down or anything else. I just think it's kind of ironic you know, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that you can do these things and, and hold a, a whole group of people hostage because something might happen, okay? And, uh, you know, that, that gal up in Maine, I fully understood her pain. I think she went about it the wrong way. She made her point, but I think she made it in the wrong, in the wrong way. I, I, I agree in a lot of instances with her. You know, things could have been made there where say, okay, I'm going to go in the neighborhood and ride my bike, but I'm not going to have any contact with her. I'm not going to stop and talk to anybody, but I want to go out and exercise. I think that could have been arranged. And it was in the ultimate end. She did it in spite, Okay. Um, you know, I'm not going to go to the store and I'm not going to shop. I'm just not going to be holed up in my house like a rat. And I, I can I can go along with that. I can agree with that. But anyway, it's not what we're here for. Uh, so the the mycoplasma, uh, host-dependent, meaning it, it needs the bird to get its nourishment and, and the amino acids and, and, uh, and things that it needs to replicate and survive, uh, doesn't do well outside the bird's body, uh, quite easily disinfected against from that standpoint. Um, uh, there's a big controversy running around, and I got into it with a couple of people the other day because I don't like uh, improper uh, wrong information. And um, so uh, we keep hearing this thing that uh, 90% of all birds have mycoplasma, so it's really no good to worry about whether you have it or you don't have it. If you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, um, you know, show me those figures. Show me the study other than somebody from a laboratory somewhere who happens to get a lot of mycoplasma cases in their lab or whatever, uh, show me the numbers that state that 90% of all birds that are, that are out here have mycoplasma. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I shared some information uh, last, uh, well, sometime this year, I believe it was, maybe even last year, I can't remember, but about that study out of uh, uh, that was done in coll- cor- cor- uh, corroboration with a gal from... Uh, University of Maine and Cornell, and nowhere in there, while it was still a small sampling of 700 uh, birds nationwide, uh, and uh, 300 and some odd of them being chickens, it was nowhere near close to 90% of the birds. Mm-hmm. Now let's take it one step further. For approximately right around a thousand birds in 2013 in the state of California, which has the best, the best, in my opinion, because I haven't seen all the systems, but uh, they're the one that I, I, I do have access to their system and stuff, and, and uh, uh, seen a, lo- a lot of data come out of that uh, 
that California uh, uh, laboratory. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody venture to take a guess out of a thousand birds from backyard flocks in the state of California for the year 2013, which is fresh information, what the number one disease was? Uh, internal parasites. Nope. <clears throat> nope. Worms. Some type of worms. Mites. Nope. I opened it up here on my computer, and I'm looking at it right now, so I'm not going to go through every little thing because they, they have broken it down into so many different things. It's really phenomenal to see. It can go from uh, problems with the whole body, urinary tract, uh, uh, their special senses, which they consider eyeball, uh, ears, um, uh, respiratory, uh, blood, digestive, nervous, reproductive, musculoskeletal, uh, integumentary, cardiovascular, mm-hmm. digestive, the whole bit. All right, so here we go. This puts this to sleep. Merrick's disease, number one. Number one. Number two, ovarian and oviduct tumors, says ovarian cancer. Number three, fatty liver. Fatty liver. Yep. Okay, now that's the top three. Other common findings were salpingitis, which we talked about, which is an infection of the oviduct. Coccidiosis, which we've talked to death. Uh, lymphoid leukosis, which is uh, a big liver disease, uh, non-treatable. And visceral gout. Uh, now let me ask a question. Unless we're all deaf, did anybody hear mycoplasma in there? No. No. Because, because if you go back and you look at the uh, uh, respiratory system, okay, there were only, out of a 1,000 birds, between MG and MS together, both of them, 37 cases. And, Interesting. Yeah, so you, you, know, you can do the math and figure that all out by yourselves that uh, that does not constitute 90% by any stretch of the imagination. And until I see somebody come along with better numbers, I don't care. And uh, I have I've got two valid studies that show me that it's not even close. <clears throat> so, but I want to get this uh, two, two last things. We'll wrap up the show. Sure, go ahead. You wanted to do about, uh, and I'm probably killing the pronunciation, but uh, lincomycin or lineco, L-I-N-C-O, mycin, M-Y-C-I-N. Don't know if again that's a, like a trade name, a generic name of something else. But no, uh, lincomycin so is a, uh, I believe, uh, 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 what they call in the drug classification a macrolide. Uh, it's readily available. Uh, I don't sell it by itself. I sell it in combination with spectinomycin, so they would know the product as LS50. Very good for respiratory issues. Both of them in combination uh, just happens to work uh, pretty well against mycoplasma as well. Yeah, not a bad product, but I would, I wouldn't use it by itself. I would. I would pony it up with the uh, uh, spectinomycin, but it, it's uh, and some people might get some relief by using just the lincomycin by itself. But I have found, and uh, a whole lot of other people have found over the years that uh, see here's the kicker: not that many people use the LS50. So if you're not using it, it has a much greater chance of being successful. You see? Interesting. Okay. And I have the and spectinomycin by itself, and I also have the LS50, the lincomycin. Uh, and the spectinomycin uh, together, uh, I can get the lincomycin. I just don't have any call for it. But it's a water-soluble powder. You put it in the, in the uh, drinking water. Uh, it, it's a cattle product uh, uh, for the most part. Uh, it comes in an injectable form as well, and I used to carry that too. 
And I got an email during the show that said, uh, good afternoon, I am listening live to the radio show today, and I'm very interested in obtaining some additional information about testing my birds for MG. I live in Louisiana. Is there an antigen available for me to test my own birds? Thank you for any help you can offer. Brandy. So she wants to test her own birds if she can for MG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, that's her she just needs to send me an email. Um, and uh, I was on the phone with the company last week and uh, got the dates for it. I believe they, um, the best dated antigen they have is somewhere between June and, and uh, August of uh, 2015. And you know, to spend 125, 150 bucks uh, or so for the antigen plus shipping and cooler because that's to be refrigerated and everything else. Um, you know, I'm not sure that you know people are going to want to do that. Plus, uh, you're looking at syringes for each bird. So if you've got 100 birds, you need 100 syringes, 50 cents a piece. Um, you know, the, you know, it's. Uh, but again, uh, if if she's willing to do it, I can hook her up with all the stuff. That's not an issue. Um, and if she's seen okay. the pleurum test done or she has a pleurum tester to help her, uh, that's even better. Because, see, when you draw that blood from the bird, you have to do it. Uh, and this is, this is um, uh, a tough thing to do from this standpoint. You have to do it, number one, quickly, but you can't do it so quickly that you rupture the red blood cells. Because if you mm-hmm. rupture the red blood cells, then the amber-colored fluid doesn't turn amber, it turns pink. And that could cloud the test. So it's, it takes a little bit of technique to do it, you know. You, and here's the good thing: you don't have to do all your birds in one day, in one hour, or anything like that. You know, as long as you keep the antigen cool and and uh, follow all the rules, like anything else, uh, it shouldn't be a big deal. And to me, I, I would I would want to know. I would want to know. Yeah, you know, I would I would want to know where I was, and I would I, and once I determined that I was uh, uh, free of of mycoplasma and pylorum and uh, uh, I get that all done by my state lab to back me up to prove that you know, my testing procedure is valid. Uh, every three months I would do it, but the state, I would do it my own. I would keep those, those uh, leg band numbers that I was doing it on and do different birds each time. And uh, I would command a premium for my birds, so you just wouldn't be buying birds from me. It's mm-hmm. that simple. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, great information, great show. It needed to be done, uh, especially with everything I've seen lately on, on the blogs and forums about this. And then they get a typical question. I walk outside, I have a bird that's coughing. i got one that's sneezing. I have one that's mm-hmm. one eye swollen. Or, or discharge here, discharge there. And it is, it is the season. And so um, I wanted to cover a lot of information in the show, which I'm glad. Um, and, and good. It ended up being about an hour and a half. I've got three minutes left before we get cut off from being live. So, Peter, thank you very, very much for coming on the show today. I know you were uh, uh, at an event this weekend, so you're probably totally worn out because I know how being on the road can be very exhausting. So, I thank you for coming on, uh, especially this holiday week. And we'll see you uh, next Monday. But, but great information. Thank you very much for joining us, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Same to you, Andy. Thank you. Uh, bye bye. That's Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. He's been doing this for over 40 years, folks, and uh, you know, you, you know, I know you love it because our numbers skyrocket on Mondays when he is here, uh, and he has great information. Okay, so um, uh, you can tune in every Monday and hear Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor. We have different topics on different uh, subjects. We often do call-ins. We often do uh, open mic, things like that, right here on Mondays uh, with Ask the Chicken Doctor. FirstStateVetSupply.com. And the lady who had uh, information in Louisiana about MG, it's uh, ChickenDR at FirstStateVetSupply.
com. I'll email that to you too because I got an email from her. Uh, chicken dr for doctor. Chicken dr at firststatevetsupply.com. They don't have it, folks. You don't need it. Uh, go check them out. Home of the, as far as I know, the first and original emergency medicine kit. Yeah, you got the first aid kit. I get it. But if you walk outside and you see your chicken with the discharge of the nose, the cough, or are you going to see, oops, I better go out and order it and wait three days for shipping while the bird gets worse and spreads it to the other birds? Um, or do you have something there that you can immediately use? Twenty four ninety five emergency medicine kit, smaller um, bowels of the stuff. You know, if you want to spend 50 or $100 on a big, big, big bottle of it, great, just for it to go bad if you don't need it. Or you can buy a smaller amount for a smaller amount of money. And if you don't have to use a great, it goes bad. You're out just a little bit of money, not a lot of money, because you bought the big money. That's what the emergency medicine kit's all about over at firstaidvetsupply.com. Thank you very much for tuning in. No more shows this week. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Let's be thankful for what uh, the blessings that we have. I always say count your blessings, not your problems, and you'll be a busy person all day long. Um, and so we'll return next Monday again with Peter Brown, the Chicken Doctor. Have a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving with family and friends. Thank you for tuning in. God bless everybody. Oh.